This episode was recorded on August 30th, 2020. Our topic for today, European Technologies, Part 1. very first line of this episode is going to be if chadwick boseman could make all of those movies while fighting late stage cancer everyone's else in this world's excuse for anything just went out the door out the door yeah i think all we right. estimated eight to ten movies mm-hmm. he must have made when he had stage three and up mm-hmm. out the door all excuses out the door he had to be cut he had to be an action hero like having cancer treatments. Yeah. But real mm-hmm. quick, what was, uh, which one of Chadwick Boseman's movies did you enjoy and why? 42. Okay. Why? Jackie Robinson. I'm a big sports guy. And because I always, what was it? Because the, the story of Jackie Robinson was always that he was not the best black baseball player of his time. He was not the fastest. He was not the, the best hitter, not the best fielder, not the best anything. He was the one with the class, dignity, and inner strength to pull off being the first black baseball player in the MLB. And I think he captured that frustration that, that he couldn't show it. It's like, so he, just Jackie Robinson was all that frustration, all that hate he got. He was never allowed to show it ever. And I think, I think uh, Chadwick captured that perfectly. He just captured it perfectly in that movie. All right, let's get back to our regular scheduled programming. Uh, Michael, what is the news of the week? What has been happening in your neck of the woods? Anything exciting? Just some small pieces of news, if there are any. All right, so news of the week. Well, uh, the court battle that's been ongoing now between Epic Games and Apple, and interesting, I was about to say, interesting thing here is, of course, Epic Games is owned by Tencent. So there's a little bit of surrogacy here. Tencent owns 40% of, of them, and Tim Sweeney, who's the founder, owns 50, over, a little bit over 50%. Yeah, so I believe over the week that a judge ruled that while it's okay for Apple to take Epic and take Fortnite off of their entire app store, and that is the latest news in this, is now Epic's app account has been deleted. From both, from just the Apple App Store or both App Stores? Maybe both App Stores, what I was about to say. In this continued battle, a judge did rule, however, that while Apple can remove them, they cannot remove the Unreal Engine, uh, which is also created by Epic, from the full sale from being banned from the App Store. And the judge also gave Epic a temporary restraining order against Apple, uh, which will stop Apple from retaliating from blocking the Unreal Engine. It's a temporary one, of course, it's being appealed right now, but that's the, that's the current state of it. Right, so that other games are not impacted. Uh, also to note is like, you know, other companies like Microsoft, uh, well, specifically Microsoft wrote in in support of Epic in terms of not shutting down the Epic. Because the Microsoft's game studio depends on Unreal. Yeah, exactly, a whole bunch of other uh, companies, right? So, so you, you, well, you think that the way that they did it probably benefits them and, potentially benefits them because it's showing what exactly they're kind of complaining about. I mean, I think the, what's the worst case? The worst case is they, they lose all this litigation. They pay something in lawyer fees, which they can afford. And then they go back on the app store. So what did they achieve at that point? Nothing. That's if they lose. 
Right. And if they but win. if you don't try, you'll lose. If they win, they can break. They can break and or they they can like I said last time, which was either they can make a special deal for games, which Apple won't like a special deal for them, which Apple will probably be able to do, uh, or they'll break the entire Apple system in terms of how you can charge or recurrently charge from the Apple Store. That will be massive and changing. That, I think, will be a prolonged legal battle. Our, our next story, Michael, is updates on TikTok. So now, I think this just came out, so what is this today? The 30th? Yes, it came out yesterday, 29th, on a Saturday. New technology export rules in China could affect TikTok sale to a U.S. company. So China's updated regulations that prohibit exporting technology, text analysis, uh, sorry. <clears throat> the updated regulations now prohibit exporting technology, which includes text analysis, voice recognition, and content suggestions without a license from the Chinese government. So in other words, so, machine learning. That, basically, any AI-based product is going to come under the scrutiny. So is Beijing just saying we need a piece of this action as well? Because, <laughs> uh, well, Rick, hey, listen, I, I said this before. To me, it's just so foreign that you build something in your country or another country, and then another country comes in and says, just because you have you know, uh, users in my country, you need to sell your stuff. It's like, well, I employ people here, and we built it using you know, our tools. Um, I don't know. So I can see where China's coming from. It's like, I can see well, this dragging on into the election. I can see there is a period of time where TikTok is banned in this company. There's an injunction that comes in and then there's another deadline. I can see this dragging on for a while. It, this, this last update actually made me forget the bigger news of TikTok. Michael, the CEO has resigned. Yes. Just, this is not for me. <laughs> he didn't sign up for this. And some, people were, some people were criticizing him saying like, what, what did you expect was going to happen? We thought that the U.S. might do something with TikTok. Like, how did you be so blinded in coming into this job? But on the other side, apparently he wasn't involved in the discussions with Microsoft and some of the other suitors trying to buy it, even though he is the, C he is the CEO of TikTok and he is the COO of ByteDance. But all right, I think let's, do you have any other story for us before we jump nah. to the main topic for today? No, nah, I think that is, I think that is it. All right. So today we continue our international tech tour. Mm -hmm. And we are going further east now. No, west? we are going further west. <laughs> we started in the east and we are How going far west. do you want to go? I mean, technically, technically by, yeah, if you I mean, wanted to start in Asia, it's the west still. So yeah, you could keep. Uh, There's very little ways to call Europe the east unless you start in the United States. That's true. That's true. Oh no, we're going west. We're going west, Michael. All right. And we're going to. to your adopted Europe. home continent. Yes, Europa. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Belgium does not make this list. I was going to say so, yes. The the chocolate and the wine industry, or the rather the chocolate and the what else does Belgium beer. do? Beer, beer industry. There we go. The chocolate and the beer industry are not uh, yet techified, if you will. I'm sure they are, but not techified enough for us to count them as tech companies. Yes, yes. Actually, for today's episode, we'll be looking at some of Europe, Europe's largest tech companies. Uh, some by market cap. Well, actually, essentially all of this. I think it's all by market, by market cap. cap. Yeah. So I mean, we essentially did a search of the biggest market cap uh, Euro tech companies. And yeah. 
for her reference, of course, on this world tour, we want to get a flavor and an understanding of what it's like uh, as a person using technology or exposed to technology or the technology industry in these individual continents themselves. So for Europe, we've decided to break that down to two ways. One is the larger companies by market cap. These are probably the ones that people have heard about that all have really unique and interesting histories. And next week, we'll probably talk about things that most people don't hear about often, and that's the European startups. Yeah, so the companies we're covering today, real quick as a quick overview, is from largest to smallest, SAP, SAP, ASML Holdings, mm-hmm. Dassault, mm-hmm. Amadeus, Ericsson, Nokia, Infineon, Spotify. Imagine Spotify, what is it, 10 years? Maybe a little more than 10 years since we covered mm-hmm. it already. Iden at nine, and last, Capgemini. So without further ado, Michael, get us started with numero uno. What is right, it we, worth? We will start with a company that everyone has heard about probably if you follow the technology industry. In fact, you probably think of it as an old tech company. In fact, Europe's largest company by market cap is SAP. And SAP is a German multinational company. It was founded in 1972. It's known for its ERP products. So what is ERP? It's enterprise resource uh, products. So... Think about financials, logistics, HR, uh, what else? Uh, Bookings, everything you need to run a company uh, for these large enterprises. SAP has some solution for you. SAP also had a data visualization and a BI tool that I fought against for a good five years in my last company as well. They were definitely a challenger that used to have their heyday in that space before they were wiped clean out by younger, more hungry uh, companies. They're not completely gone, but anyways. So they have a $200 billion market cap. Uh, However, uh, they have been also going through some changes recently. So in 2019, they announced a large shift purely to cloud solutions. So they're saying, okay, we're going to invest in blockchain. We're going to invest in distributed systems. We're going to invest in cloud technologies. Uh, But it also cut 400 jobs. Sorry, 4,000 jobs as a result of that. Now, they still employ hundreds, over 100,000 people, I believe, uh, across this multinational. They are, uh, what was I about to say? So they are the, the largest company. And so as an interesting thing, as we start to look into a lot of these European companies, which will draw trends at the end, as usual, but they are not without controversy, corruption, and interesting dealings. So in May 2015, the company dealt with a series of high-profile bribery investigations, including one that they had to pay $3.9 million to settle with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. And also, apparently, a former executive had a bribe to scheme, or, or to, they had a scheme to bribe the Panama government officials in order to win lucrative technology contracts. So that's, uh, we'll, we'll start building a, We'll start building a, what's the word I'm looking for? We'll start building a trend with some of these companies and their controversies and their bribery. In fact, I'll ask you if it's a, it's just a common European thing at the end. But, uh, but what, John, any thoughts about SAP? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously a Do you giant. think people realize it's as big as it is? I think I think there's a concept. I think people no no I think people have a concept because people yeah, think it's one of the old tech companies. I think they put it up there if Oracle 
they put it up there it's, with yeah oracle sap those are the ones that you think about it's that's true so i remember when i was in uh, you know in the bay area and they had an office not far from us right and yeah a lot of offices not far from us they do they have like a cluster of uh, different buildings that are the sap office there but at least to me um maybe others are more knowledgeable or we're more knowledgeable of sap than i am but when i think of sap i just I, like for example like now um you know you'll think like google's big or even like amazon's big because now they employ over a million people and you can just imagine that share but with amazon you know what those people are doing right mm -hmm. with sap when i hear of sap it just feels well you're not huge. a business owner what's up you're not a business owner or working in hr or accounting right right but like not only just that it's just my idea of sap is just this huge faceless organization that has its i think know, its business for over it. i don't I think for I don't a period a of time i think for a period of time every single person who worked in any large company in the entire let's say western world interface with an sap tool still probably do sap still probably handles financials and uh salaries and stuff they, like that they also bought i forgot its name i think it starts with a c i forgot its name but it's the one that we use for reimbursement so whenever you concur. traveled or yes concur, concur. They concur. Bought, yep. i believe i believe they bought concur a few yes, years they ago did. for several billion dollars so yeah they're just a massive company so moving on we're gonna move on real quick i'm gonna not go to asml yet because that's uh that, that i think relates to a few other companies i'm going to quickly bundle two scandinavian companies together that are both in the telecoms and i think these are two companies that almost everyone in the world has probably interfaced with seen or heard of i definitely say one of them so we're going to cover ericsson and nokia so these two companies we're talking about old tech are surprisingly old i don't think people know how old so Ericsson was a Swedish telecoms and networking company founded in 1876. Yes, 1876. Nokia, its uh, Finnish neighbor, is a telecoms company and networking company founded in 1865. So, John, the Scandinavians, we, I know we talked about this when we covered Spotify in terms of connectivity and internet connectivity and just how quickly and how fast they adopt these things. It's in the blood. It is in the culture. It is in the history of, of these countries. Nokia is a huge point of Finnish pride. But anyways, quickly going into some of their, their results and data. Ericsson has a $35 billion market cap. Nokia has a $28 billion market cap. Ericsson is the largest non-Chinese telecommunications infrastructure company in the world currently. And Nokia, so talking about some of the, the history in terms of what these two companies have contributed to. Nokia helped develop all of the 2G, 3G, 4G, and is currently helping develop 5G standards. In terms of, so Nokia has had its, uh, as a company, had its fingerprints over all of telecommunications for the past 20 years. Both of these used to be really, really large mobile phone distributors. Nokia was, at one point, the largest phone distributor or mobile phone distributor in the entire world before it ultimately sold off its phone decision to Microsoft. And of total phone sales, just by units sold, of course, not by revenue, Nokia still has seven of the top 10 best-selling cell phones in history. 
including the indestructible 11, uh, uh, 1100, the indestructible Nokia N1100, in which literally I, that my experience with that phone was, it was so hard to describe. How would I describe it? It kind of looks like an ice cream bar. Uh, for, those, for, for those who've never seen anything less than a smartphone or older than a smartphone, it's a feature phone, which means no touchscreen, no, very limited internet connectivity, uh, no browser, no operating system, well, no sophisticated operating system of its own, and a, and a dial that we had a text message with. But it kind of looks like a small ice cream bar slash like, like Egyptian, slash Egyptian sarcophagus shape. But when I say that that's the, the N1100, uh, and I remember I once went to a summer camp, a stay home, a stay away summer camp, in which I was on the sixth floor. I was on some college campus, and I was on the sixth floor of that of some dorm room was where I was staying in. And me and my roommate dropped an N1100 out of a window onto concrete to see if it would, uh, to see how sturdy it was. It worked perfectly after that. Six stories down, concrete, fine. Some chipping, sure. Screen, did not break. <laughs> if you drop an iPhone from six stories, that thing might explode. Forget, uh, forget, well, forget still function. But yes, so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of great memories of, uh, I think, people with Nokia phones. Nokia also, for the longest time, still held out. So they used to make the Symbian, uh, uh, OS, which powered their phones. And they held out for a long time before going to Android. But Nokia, that world's largest phone distributor, that it held that to only a few years ago, to be honest. It held out that for a very long time because still in India, Africa, and other, uh, other developing nations, Nokia was still the number one phone distributor because feature phones were still there. So it came a point where if you made a feature phone or if you bought a feature phone, it was most likely Nokia. So I'm talking about all of this, kind of the glory heydays of these companies, because these companies are not, even though these, these near 200-year-old companies, they're not what they used to be. So for example, Ericsson, the, the industries that's pulled out of it no longer makes phones, including the beautiful Sony Ericsson phones that we talked about last time. Remember, that was, ahead, a partnership, that was a partnership with Sony. And yes. yeah, Sony Ericsson phones, they were up there in style. They were up there yep. in style. They no longer make, they no, and thusly, they no longer have a mobile platform and they are no longer do enterprise connectivity. And as we also just said with Nokia, they used to be the largest phone distributor. They ultimately sold that to Microsoft, who then I think packaged that and sold it to Motorola, I believe. I don't remember anymore. And no, no. no. where is it now? They still own it? I think, yeah, it's still within them. They, they don't they have, might have Windows Mobile might, anymore. No. They, well, they, what, what is it when you write, when you buy something and then you... Write it off? Yes. You essentially wrote it off. And I it's think, like it? yes, you're, it was Nokia's phone business, but Nokia itself mm -hmm. as a company continues to exist. Yes, yes. There. Nokia still, they're still a telecommunications company. So in fact, Ericsson right now is the global leader in 5G rollout. Uh, so yes, the, you, Huawei gets all the attention, but of course it's also blocked. There's a lot of challenges there. Ericsson right now has rolled out more 5G. Granted, it's a different technology than Huawei uses, uh, but it's rolled out more 5G. And like we mentioned before, Nokia is also involved in creating those 5G standards. So they're still very much a part of the telecommunications space, 
and they're still making a good deal of money, as, as we said, with their, with their current expected market caps. So really quickly, to follow a trend from, uh, from S&P, these companies themselves are not outside of, you know, using the old bribery tactics or other controversies that people get caught for. So Ericsson was, uh, has on multiple occasions had bribery and corruption charges in multiple countries. In fact, they once had to pay a $2 billion fine to the U.S. government because of it. And then Nokia, well, it has controversies everywhere from uh, allowing the Iranian government to spy on citizens and enterprises to spy on all their employees. It's had several patent lawsuits with Apple, and it tried to evade taxes in India. So, you know, just fancy accounting by some really old companies. But yeah, Johnny, I forget. I think I asked you this once. You ever have a Nokia phone? Yes, I believe I did. And just to speak to what you said, which is that these companies have seen their heyday in the past. Um, let's put it this way. At its, peak, at its peak in 2000, during the telecoms bubble, Nokia alone accounted for 4%, 4% of Finland's GDP. Uh, Finland's a small country, but its GDP is not, uh, you know, I don't think it's that small. And it accounted for 21% of total exports and 70% of the Helsinki stock exchange market capital. Nokia was, was a behemoth. So we'll move on real quick to the semiconductor companies, uh, two of which are, uh, what's it called? Two of which are very connected, those being ASML and Infineon. So ASML is a Dutch semiconductor and lithography company that was founded in 1984 and is the largest supplier of photolithography equipment for the semiconductor, uh, semiconductor industry. So what that means, Johnny, because I see a blank on your face because you didn't go down this path in electrical engineering is how what we do with silicon when we make them into chips is we take this big wafer of silicon and then we imprint a pattern on it several times using light. And then we build the electronics or we literally grow the electronics on top of those patterns. So photolithography is the process of which you embed that pattern on it. Uh, onto the raw silicon wafer. So it is, it's uh, quite an expensive process, uh, silicon manufacturing in general. But it is still the world's largest supplier of that. It has that completely locked down as a market cap of $162 billion, as you would expect, considering just how prolific semiconductors are in this world right now. Uh, as and we've talked about that throughout, uh, we talked about that in Asia uh, with Samsung. And we're going to talk about it in Europe. We'll be talking about it in America. We'll be talking about it in South America. We'll be talking about it everywhere. So it's interesting. Uh, Intel actually owns a 10% share of ASML. And ASML also just bought Taiwan-based Hermes production in 2016 in the, in the manufacturing company. So there's this circle of uh, foreign investment, quote-unquote, within this industry. So that's ASML. Infineon Technology is a German spinoff of Siemens, who we've been talking about in the past. And it was founded in 1999, so it's the youngest of the companies that we're talking about here. It's the world leader in automotive and power semiconductors. And it has a $35 billion market cap. So yes, semiconductors are such a distributed and wide and broad industry that you can be a world leader in just one application of it and have a $35 billion market cap. I was just going to quickly check. Are there any other semis on here that we want to lump in real quick? 
No, there isn't. Uh, no, I think those are the big semis. Everybody All else right. is different. Yes. Do you want to go to uh, the? Well, salt? I'll let you. I'll let you do Spain. I'm Okay. All right, Spain. Is that how it's pron- Is that how it's pronounced in Europe? How did you pronounce it? Amadeus. There you go. That one. Because I know that's how Americans pronounce it, but I'm under the impression. So Amadeus, uh, it was Amadeus Mozart. He was German, or was, right? Was Mozart German? Uh, he was born in Salzburg, so modern-day Austria. So, Amadeus IT Group is a company out of Spain, and they are the world leader in travel IT, and they are the provider of all of the core infrastructures and systems and software that powers everything from booking something to getting airline tickets to hotels and industries and inventories, all of these different types of things that when you think, I want to go on vacation – which after lockdown ends, everyone will want to go on vacation. Probably Amadeus IT Group provided that ability for you to do so. So they have a $22 billion market cap. And they were originally founded by a conglomeration of airline companies. Makes sense. From Air France, Lufthansa, Iberia, and SAS. So they have your more traditional controversies. They had a data vulnerability found in 2019 that actually impacts. So this is an idea of their scope and reach. It impacted 40% of international carriers. And where the vulnerability found is you could go in and actually change private flight information. So I don't know if that means you could change your chair, but it would have been interesting or change your seat rather. It would have been interesting if that could mean you could upgrade yourself to first class on, uh, on Air France or Lufthansa. Um, you'd be caught, but that would be that'd funny. Be, that'd be pretty nice. That would be funny to see. So yeah, but that just shows you like one data vulnerability for their systems, 40% of all international carriers were impacted. That's how widespread uh, Amadeus IT Group's technology is used. So I'm debating how unique this is um, in terms of, it's not every day that just because you're in the industry, that means you can be, you can successfully launch a company that works in another aspect of that industry, right? So Mm -hmm. if you're in the airline business, does that necessarily mean that you'd be really good at all this other stuff? Probably not. Probably not. So I think it's pretty unique that a bunch of companies came together and obviously utilizing their combined skills and talent and resources, they were able to put together this company that... And if you think about it, this was 1980. Yeah, this is 1987, which means this was telephones, physical bookings, switchboards, all those type of things. Right. It's almost like they... Right. It's almost like they consolidated a department of their own... (laughs) They're like, we have a department, you have a department, let's just consolidate everybody to one and create a company out of it. All right then, then in that case, why don't we go to Dassault in France? This is a very unique company, um, even more unique than I think all the other ones in a lot of ways. And I'll explain that. So we're going to France, it's called Dassault Systems. It was founded in 1981 in, I'm probably gonna butcher, Belize Villacouble in France. It's Northern, slightly East part of France. Uh, it has revenues of $4 billion as of 2019 and over 16,000 employees as of 2018, over 140 different countries. Pretty big. Back in 1997, it acquired SolidWorks, which is another 3D design software used, I believe, I want to say engineering, or, but just more maybe more generally just mechanical and civil, I believe. So yeah, just as a recap, Zolt Systems, it's in the system design software space. 
one of the more recent things that they've gotten into is also, uh, you know, we're getting into the world of VR. So mm -hmm. they're getting into that. That makes uh, sense, considering they have, uh, they have SolidWorks. Yes, exactly. All right, with that, we go to Holland next with Adyen. Adyen was founded in 2006 by Arno Schujip. Peter van der Does. It's Arno and Pieter. Oh, yes, you're right. It is Arno. And it is Pieter. It's true. Thank you. Too many different countries. All right. Payment company. Arien is a payment company that allows businesses to accept e-commerce, mobile, and point-of-sale uh, payments. It has over 3,500 customers with 1,300 employees in 13 countries. Its founding team were payment uh, industry professionals. Uh, its actual core management team uh, helped, hailed from Bbit, uh, mm -hmm. having worked together for close to 12 years. Uh, and talking a uh, quick side story, a Bbit was actually merged into Streamline, uh, which later became called World Play Group. World which was Play Group, by, yep. Which was later acquired by FIS, a US-based company, in July 2019 for $43 billion. Um, so now coming back to Adyen. Adyen actually means start again in Sran Tongo. It's a reference to this being the founder's second project after Bbit. Um, in November 20, 2017, they partnered with Air Canada to provide international payment solutions to Air Canada's customers. They did IPO on 13th June 2018, and they've been profitable since 2011. Mm -hmm. So Excellent. five years after being founded, uh, you look at some of the U.S. Uh, startups and Uber. where profitability uh, will ever be the case. Um, and then as of January 2018, eBay actually announced that they had signed an agreement with Adyen to become its primary payments processing together, uh, processing uh, service. And so by 2021, eBay ex actually expects to have transitioned a majority of its marketplace customers to Adyen. I think in right now they have some kind of agreement still with, with PayPal, which I think will be expiring later this year. So yeah, that's Adyen. Any comments? Let us say, I mean, this is, uh, what was I about to say, payments and financials. We're bound to find one of these at some point, though I do feel that uh, we'll see more of these in a startup world when we cover European startups next. I was going to add, because if you don't include western europe uh so sorry if you don't include eastern europe rather and just look at the population of what is quote unquote western europe uh that's only about 200 million people yeah it's like a third of the states roughly it's two-thirds of the states the states is about right, 300 right, two yeah two-thirds my bad yes but yes um, so one of the takeaways, uh, just moving on to trends and takeaways, is, and the reason I mentioned the population, is that the smaller countries definitely punch way above their weight. I was going to explicitly mention uh, Holland first, because they have at least two companies on there. But I noticed that they actually have a larger population than Sweden and Finland. So, yeah, Sweden, Finland, Holland, uh, in terms of their contribution here, being in the top one of having companies in the top 10 uh, by market cap, they definitely punch way above their weight compared to, you know, somebody like Spain, 46 million or Germany with 83 million. Mm -hmm. Right. Just one question on this one, which is some speaking of population is speaking of countries in this space or countries in this continent, Europe's especially because one of the trends is here. We've mostly looked at Western Europe uh, in terms of the large companies. And, and we do need to go back and sometimes at some point cover the former Soviet bloc, but 
Western Europe, it's it's geography. Its overall land mass is smaller than that of the United States, right? Mm-hmm. I believe so. Much, so if you much think smaller. About, much, much. Even Europe as a whole is much smaller. So something hit me while I was trying to, well, I started to think about this in terms of both the uh, both the controversies that we saw, as you mentioned earlier, and some of these smaller countries that punch above the way. If we think about this, population of Western Europe is two thirds of the United States. And yet it contains all these not different states, these different countries, separate governments, completely separate governments. No, un- There's nothing that unifies these folks except the EU. And that's not the type of unification our states have. So it's like the, I like to imagine, it's like the competition. Imagine like California and New York were completely separate countries um, yeah. and they were competing against each other. And these are the, these are the environments such that, and for the majority, I feel, of a lot of these companies we talked about, yeah, if I look at the majority of these companies, they were founded before the EU was founded. So there was no trade agreement between all of these, uh, all of these countries as an entity. There were individual trade agreements and individual systems. And I was right. thinking that plays into, as well, some of the controversies we see. As you kind of mentioned earlier, there's kind of a, a pay-to-play if you will, way to do business throughout the world. But the second side of it is in American companies, you generally deal with the American government. And that is where and, you spend the God. Yeah. And then just to add to that, I mean, you can spend whatever you want, but at the end of the day, you're paying a bunch of uh, lobbyists to mm-hmm. lobby upon your behalf. Yep. And, and push for your stuff, whether it's contributing to senators, helping them get reelected to congressmen, and trying to obviously express their interest, right? Which before, I don't think it was as big as it has become now. And of course, tech has been in that for a while. Um, so, but yeah, but in just, Europe, just, of course, just, you're competing against all of these. You can't easily, you have to buy all of your, all of your governments, if you will. Yeah. You have to buy the government of France, Germany, Holland, Sweden, Finland, Spain, England, which, oh, other interesting thing, England and the UK not represented in uh, in these large businesses by uh, by market cap that was the other really interesting thing i i had to take a double take and and look to make sure that it wasn't one of those uh, brexit situation yeah and it wasn't this is really just all of europe Mm. at least the map i was seeing was all of europe it didn't just say eu this was europe so it's the the largest tech companies in the uk are like uh but then is it really uh, robotics companies active nito laser but, light right but like not much, yeah. if, if we pause it is it really that surprising like uk is not not to say that they don't do anything with technology but europe as a whole that's not their i guess forte if you will but i sure, think it's, you, when we get when we get to startups there's a lot of interesting activity especially in london with payments yes you know london being a very uh, financial well, they, hub of it but how come they don't have one massive fintech company it's pretty surprising okay for sure but i get quick. this but if you look at the east india company if you look at banking and finance that's definitely where you associate more with england but i do have one question about this uh which is if you look at post-world war ii and yes we covered a lot of old companies here but we've definitely also covered a lot of post-world war ii companies in this tour of europe all these other countries rebuilt catching this technology wave. Why did UK not rebuild earlier catching this technology wave? Yes, I would point to finances. I would point it to the banking industry and investment industry allowing the UK and its uh, and its rel- 
tip, even though the UK was devastated during World War II, but it's relative uh, less devastation and role of leadership allowed to go into the financial route more than these other countries had the luxury to post-World War II. Right. Sorry, was that of course, a question? Now with the econ- uh, that's a statement. Of course, now with the economy kind of dipping, I would say that uh, I would say that Europe, or rather the UK, is coming back full time on it. Right, right. Um, real quick, the one part, one of the companies that we didn't mention that is in the top ten or didn't go into detail is Spotify, and that's because we did a two-part episode on it, episodes nineteen yes. and twenty, when we covered Spotify's history, what made it successful as part of our Rich Tech Poor Tech series. So, is that really a two-parter? Really, yeah, it was a two-part. Oh, there was a lot yeah, to talk it was. about Spotify. It was, yeah, yeah, yep. I mean, it's a $20 billion business. Mm-hmm. It's not insignificant. All right, so Johnny, um, these were the large Euro tech companies of the, of the current technology industry. Overall takeaways from this. Outside of, you know, England, population, corruption. But what do you feel about these companies in general? Maybe we already covered this, but they're all totally different companies. Like there's some similarities here and there, but it, it's not like it's not like any of these two companies directly compete with each other. They might have segments that might be part of it, especially these larger holding companies that have a bunch of different interests. But there's no two companies I can see right here that say I can say are strict are competitors in a certain business. Segment. Perhaps well, they competed each other out of existence, or as we mentioned, both a small area. If you think about it now. Uh, especially, let me ask a question. With let's let's assume that this this little bit of dissolution. Well, England's always been weird to begin with, but let's assume that sorry, the UK has always been weird to begin with with the EU. But let's assume that the EU remains, and that there's all this great uh, there's all this great citizenship and all of this great free mm-hmm. not free trade but trade agreements and all of this kind of unity in Europe. Do you foresee a because I would offer that and this doesn't explain these countries for now, or sorry, these companies for now, but when you're a little more united, you will see more direct competition because in the past, these companies, in order to make it out of their countries first, had to beat all of their local competitors, and then they had to beat the European competitors, all of them, in order to make it to number one in Europe. So we're not talking about the number two telecom company that existed from the 1800s for coming out of Scandinavia that was beaten down. We're not talking about the telecom companies that probably existed in Germany and France and all of these others that were beaten. Uh, we're talking about the ones that had to beat everyone else in order to make their name on this list. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally correct. And you can also see that in the acquisitions, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these have quite an extensive history. We didn't go too much into it, but some of these companies have quite an extensive history of acquiring a whole bunch of different companies, some some more locally and some like far far away. So yeah, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's I think there's been more of a survival. If you because again, if if we're looking at this, some of these companies were started back in the late 1800s. Right? Yep. None of the U.S. companies we've touched upon so far have are anywhere older than like 1950 let's say if that oh okay we didn't cover ibm yet so but still ibm's not that old of a company ibm's only like 100 years old right exactly like i mean i would say if you think about it we are yeah you're right it was founded in 1911 
So, but yeah, but I would, I will say this. So the other interesting thing I found was with the different investment patterns. So when people think about globalization, they tend to think about it as just manufacturing and jobs. It's also clear that the money going around. So for example, like a European company gets invested into by an American company invests into a, an Asian company, that Asian company in like an Asian company, like Tencent or SoftBank invests into an American company that then invests into, it's like, you just see the money going around the world. Um, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So I would say that the companies that we covered this week are mostly like the large enterprise manufacturing, big business, uh, the, the ones that you don't necessarily see day to day, except for Spotify. And that next week, not only are we doing startups, but we're going a little more consumer in some of these startups. We're going to be touching some of the more B2Cs as we go into our, our next week in our, our trip on, on our trip on Europe. But yes. All right, then. Any closing thoughts on the part one of Europa? Interesting wide range of top 10 companies. No one industry coming up on top is uh, pretty fascinating. All right, then. Well, we sh- in that case, we shall see everyone next week. You've been listening to another episode of the Silicon Trail. Uh, have a great weekend. Stay safe out there.